This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, May 31st. I'm Virginia Allen. Happy Memorial Day. We have a special show planned for you all today in honor of Memorial Day and in honor of all of the men and women who have given their lives in service to our country. Robert Wilkie, the former United States Secretary of Veterans Affairs under President Donald Trump, joins us to talk about the significance and history of this day. I am honored to welcome to the show the former United States Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Robert Wilkie. Mr. Wilkie also serves as a reserve officer in the United States Air Force Reserve and is a Heritage Foundation visiting fellow. Mr. Wilkie, thank you so much for being with us today. Virginia, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. Well, today we are remembering all of those who have given the ultimate sacrifice in service to our country. Today is Memorial Day. Uh, and Mr. Wilkie, as as we remember those individuals, what are some of the stories that come to your mind, maybe of, of family members that you have spoken with who have lost loved ones in the service? Well, it, it, I will relay two stories that I gave to President Trump uh, when he asked me to leave position as Undersecretary of Defense under General Mattis to go to VA. Uh, I grew up at Fort Bragg, uh, the home of the Armed Forces' most decorated combat force, the 82nd Airborne Division, and uh, the 18th Airborne Corps, which when I was a little boy just consisted of the 82nd Airborne and the 101st Airborne Division. My father was a senior officer, an artillery officer. And, and I told the president that growing up in that world, particularly during Vietnam, uh, the news was real to us. Um, when you sit in an elementary school class and you hear a, a fellow student's name called over the intercom, in a regular setting that means that child's either going to a family event or there's a doctor's appointment. Uh, growing up where I did, uh, nine times out of ten when a child was called to the principal's office in those years, there was always a chance uh, that there was bad news from Southeast Asia. Mm. And that, that's certainly what I experienced um, many times. Um, and that came back to me as the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Um, I took a classmate, Denise Johnson is her name, uh, to the Vietnam Wall. Uh, 44 years after her father had perished. Um, we had been classmates growing up. And her father was part of an operation known as Operation Babylift. As the North Vietnamese got closer to Saigon, President Ford ordered all of the orphanages in Saigon uh, evacuated. And there were volunteers from across the Air Force to get on C-5s and go and get those children and bring them to safety. Well, on May 4th of 1975, a C-5 uh, carrying Master Sergeant Denning Cicero Johnson of Harnett County, North Carolina, uh, took off with 178 orphans and about 25 Air Force personnel. It didn't make it past the end of the runway. And Sergeant Johnson was killed. Um, I took his daughter to see his name on that wall, one of the last uh, from that conflict. But the other thing that, that struck me 
about growing up in that world, and I've said this during my tenure as, as VA secretary, we reached a low point in this country when it came to recognizing the valor of our fellow citizens, and I'll give you an example. Uh, my father, senior officer in the All-American Division, incredibly decorated combat soldier, was not allowed to wear his uniform off post. Uh, that wasn't Berkeley, California or Cambridge, Massachusetts. That was southeastern North Carolina, the heart of Richard Nixon country. And the army was afraid of the reaction that the soldiers would get from a population that uh, in general was tired of Vietnam, or at least we were told they were tired of Vietnam. And, and I told the president that we could never let those days return. So growing up, the sacrifice of families in particular was what stuck with me because there were so many children with whom I played whose fathers uh, never returned. And um, that's why Memorial Day is, is special, it's sacred. Um, and it reminds us of the sacrifice of over one million Americans uh, who have fallen since the first shots were fired in April of 1775 at Lexington Green in Massachusetts. And what is the history of Memorial Day? Uh, when, when did we first decide as a nation we need a specific day to celebrate those men and women who have given the ultimate sacrifice? Well, it came from uh, really the United States Army in the form of its senior officer, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, who had been General Grant's right hand in the Union armies of the Western theater of the war. Um, Sherman replaced Grant as the commander in chief of, of the United States Army. And in 1868, they had what was known as Decoration Day, where Sherman ordered flowers and garlands to be placed on the graves of both Union and Confederate soldiers. 620,000 Americans had perished in that war. Sherman, the most ferocious of warriors, certainly most ferocious on uh, the Union Army's side, um, ordered the uh, observance and recognition of the valor of all Americans. And from that day, um, it began to move. Actually, if you, if you want to go back, uh, it was President Lincoln, I believe in 1864, who ordered a, by executive order, a national day of, of fair and prayer and fasting, uh, which he called a memorial uh, day. Um, that also had a connection to what we now know as Thanksgiving. Um, so it, it's, it, it comes from those very dark times and what, what Lincoln called uh, America's most pestilential war and still to this day um, of the one 0.1 million Americans who have fallen, 620,000 of them fell in that one war. Mm. Well, and for you, having grown up in a military family and at Fort Bragg and having served as the Secretary of Veterans Affairs under President Donald Trump, and prior to that, you served as the Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness under Trump, and then under President George W. Bush, 
You were the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Legislative Affairs. So in all of these roles, I know that you've had the honor of interacting with many of our, our service members, our, our veterans and their families. As, as someone who has worked so closely with our armed forces, why is Memorial Day so important to you personally? Well, it, let, let, me, um, let me start with um, a criticism. And, and you're absolutely right. I've been able to move in and amongst heroes, um, and not just those who carry weapons, but the families who support them. And I have all argued with all due respect to Tom Brokaw that there's no such thing, at least in uniform, as the greatest generation. Um, the same acts of valor, um, the, the sacrifices, the same sacrifices occur today, just as they did in World War II or World War I or any of our other conflicts. And um, I, re I remember one story from childhood. Mr. Donahue was on television, Phil Donahue, and he had Bob Hope lined up as one of his victims. And he kept goading Hope into saying that the troops that he had entertained in Vietnam were different, um, that they were broken. And Hope refused to take the bait. And he said, you know, the, 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 the troops that I saw in Da Nang and Way and at Tonsonut Air Base were the same faces that I saw at Saipan uh, or Guadalcanal uh, in the Pacific. They're young Americans doing a, a job that most Americans would find uh, unfathomable. And that's the lesson that I take. And without that sense of duty, without the sacrifices of these people, these, these Americans, mostly young, uh, we wouldn't have very much to stand on. And there, I, I don't know the exact quote, but I've said it many times, it's not the, the professor or the pundit the activist or the critic who ensures our basic, basic freedoms. It's, it's those who, who carry, uh, carry the weapons, carry the load, um, as I said, live in circumstances that their fellow Americans could, could not even imagine. Mm. Well, and I know you address this fact uh, in a recent Daily Signal piece for Memorial Day titled Memorial Day Val never again will one generation of veterans right. abandon another that that phrase is so powerful never again will one generation of veterans abandon another where does that come from well that comes from the folks at the vietnam veterans of america um in the um in the 19 early 1970s um during the height or the beginning of an awareness of the plight of pow's in North Vietnam uh, during a time when uh, there were massive protests in the streets across the country um, where people like my father weren't even permitted to wear their uniforms in public when they came home. Yeah. And we have had dips, valleys in our history when our veterans were forgotten. If you look at what happened in between World War I and World War II, where 
veterans actually marched on the Capitol uh, for bonuses that they believed were due to them from their service. Today we would call that a, a pension uh, from World War I. And the Army was set upon them. Uh, we forgot those lessons. We also forgot lessons uh, when it came to making VA a robust institution. Hmm. Um, four years ago, it was a disaster. It had a 37% approval rating amongst veterans. Uh, as you know, the stories were rampant. Veterans dying in the halls, in waiting rooms. Morale was at an all-time low. and I. I you know, I look back on that time and, and there was just a, uh, an attitude, well, this is, this is not a relevant issue anymore. Um, and as a result, VA collapsed in on itself. Um, the last administration made a vow to change course to ensure that that didn't happen. And uh, the sad thing is we have to keep reinventing the wheel every generation or so. Uh, it's not new. Uh, Rudyard Kipling wrote about it uh, during the height of Britain's imperial wars uh, in you know, magnificent soldiers' poetry where the, the sacrifices of Tommy, the British soldier, uh, were forgotten or looked down upon uh, by his, his society. And um, we can't afford to do that again because unlike my father's day, where the majority, the vast majority of those servings were drafted, they're draftees, it was a conscript army. Uh, today they're all volunteers. Um, if the soldier's not happy, the family walks. If the family's not happy, the soldier walks. And if we go down the road where service is not honored, and I'll just say it because I've also written this for Heritage, if we go down the road where military service becomes a social petri dish for whatever liberal clerisy happens to be in the ascendancy, then, then you're gonna start seeing the well of volunteers dry up real fast. It's already started just from, just when it comes to physical fitness, that maybe one or 2% of young Americans can even qualify. Uh, to serve in the military. And that's a societal problem that we, for all our sake, just forget the military side for a minute, that we all have to uh, confront. And how do we go about confronting that societal problem and actually, you know, from one generation right. to the next, teach our, our children how to honor sure. and respect the military? Well, there's, there is a, let's start with a negative. There's a terrible movement now on many levels, uh, academically, journalistically, and politically, particularly from one group of politicians, uh, to erase our history. Um, you know, we're witnessing a revolution to reshape the core of the American ethos that somehow we are a fallen nation uh, that is irredeemably, irredeemably corrupt and uh, the point I was making is that, you know, if you are able to describe the past the way you want it, you control the present. 
And if we don't keep our young people enthused about their history, enthused about their country, then the next step is, well, what's worth fighting for? Mm. And, and I have to believe that there is going to be a swinging back of the pendulum all across the country uh, to respond to what we have been seeing. Um, there's an effort now in the Congress, uh, and, and I've talked about this with Heritage, to remove Abraham Lincoln's words from our VA hospitals and our, and our VA headquarters because they're members of Congress who consider his words that to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and orphan from the second inaugural address. They consider those words to be sexist and exclusionary. And, and, and my view is if there's no room for Abraham Lincoln in the American story, then we're all in very serious trouble. Yeah. And, and, I, and I quote the great English lay theologian, uh, G.K. Chesterton, when he said that the democracy of the dead that refuses to submit to a small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. And uh, that's what we're seeing. And um, it is very dangerous. So it's a long-winded answer to say that the most important thing we can do as a people is to say over and over again, not in a jingoistic way uh, or to gild the lily, there's a reason people fight and die to get to this country every day. Uh, Lincoln said, we're the last best hope of man on earth. Um, Harry Truman was right when he said, we're the only country in the history of the planet to ever offer a helping hand to all the peoples of the world, including our enemies. And those are the kinds of things that we, can, we need to keep uh, in the forefront of and, and in front of America's young people. That's so powerful. And as you wrote, uh, and as we know, more than 41 million American men and women, they've served our country yes. in wartime. But uh, 1 million have given the ultimate sacrifice. And today is really about those Them. 1 million yes, right. men and women. So, you know, as, as we're going about our days, we're having, you know, backyard barbecues and, and picnics. How do we actually uh, honor the lives that have been lost? Well, you know, I, um, I, I've wrestled with that um, throughout my career around the military. I, I think, and I'm, I think I'm in the minority when I say this. Um, I, I, there needs to be more than the perfunctory thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. If you're a small business, hire veterans. Uh, if you're a big business, hire veterans. You know, I, I used to say that by the time a young soldier is 24 years old, he or she's made more life-altering decisions than the average American will make in a lifetime. Uh, they know how to look you in the eye. Uh, they know how to carry out incredibly difficult tasks. So that's one thing. The other thing is to make sure that we support the American story. Um, when the school boards go astray or people tell you that the country is not worth uh, defending, strike back. 
uh, offer a response. Uh, you know, it's, it's a precious thing that we have here. Uh, we're still a very young nation and um, we, we still have a long way to go in terms of what we give to ourselves and what we can give to the world. But in order to do that, we have to remember what makes us different, what makes this system different, and what, what makes this place uh, the one spot on the world that people will fight and die to this day to, to continue to come. Yeah, yeah. And as, as you speak with you know, family members who have lost loved ones serving our country, what is it that, that they say to you that you know, maybe we need to be keeping in mind today? Well, we need to be keeping in mind what the day says, memorial memory. You know, when I, when I talk to them, I, I talk to them as families who are part of 3,000 years. Uh, Heritage Foundation, one of its great, great pillars was a fellow named Russell Kirk really the father, the intellectual father of, of modern conservatism. And Kirk was instrumental in putting heritage on the map. And he, he talked about the United States representing the historical and religious memory of Jerusalem, Athens, Rome, and London, that we had been built on what they had given us. And, and I talked to families about um, their loved ones being part of this great span of, of history that uh, without them there would not be all of these bountiful blessings that Americans enjoy. Um, they don't, you know, they, they don't want to thank you for your service. They want to know that uh, their loved one fought in a just cause for a just nation. And uh, that goes back to what we were saying about the need to defend the very meaning of America. Yeah, so critical. Certainly something that uh, we aim to do every day here at the Heritage Foundation. And I know that you have aimed to do your whole life, Mr. Wilkie. And so we, we thank you for your, your service to this country uh, and your leadership. Well, it's modest compared to my ancestors, um, but I, I certainly thank you and thank you for everything that Heritage does to keep this, this flame of memory uh, alive. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Virginia. We're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows can be found at dailysignal.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa flash briefing. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to even more listeners. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a wonderful week. 
The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.